0: Welcome, I'm Connor Beaton, and today we have a special edition of the uh, Man Talk show. And uh, this is going to be another Question the Rules installment. Um, this episode, we're we'll going to be talking about questioning the rules of fatherhood. And uh, we have three very diverse, uh, very different guests that are going to share a very different perspective. So joining me today is Elliot Hulse, uh, he is the founder of Strength Camp. Uh, he is a, uh, a sort of like YouTube protege in a lot of ways. So he's got a lot of content out there that a lot of uh, young men follow and watch along to around fitness and mental health uh, and also uh, getting into the journey of uh, masculinity. Uh, I also have John Wineland that is joining me. And if you uh, have listened to the podcast for since the beginning, I've had John on before, uh, twice actually. Um, he is an incredible man that is a teacher and facilitator um, around embodied intimacy, the masculine, the feminine. Uh, he's worked with David Data for, I think, over a decade now. And um, you know, last year, uh, unfortunately, uh, he lost his, uh, his only daughter, Claire. Um, she passed away. She had a um, life-threatening disease that she had struggled with since she uh, was born. And so in this episode, John shares a little bit about what it's like to be a grieving parent, um, which is you know, really powerful. And also joining me is Hector Guadalupe. And Hector is the founder of the Second Youth Foundation, a uh, really incredible man. He uh, had a three-year-old son uh, when he was, I think, about 21 years old. And he was, um, yeah, unfortunately, had been wrapped up in a life of crime. And he was indicted by the federal government uh, by the FBI and was uh, sentenced to ten years in jail. And so Hector shares, uh, you know, some of the struggles and challenges of uh, being in prison, you know, being away from your your child, and some of the challenges that he's faced over the years of you know being a being someone who has come out of prison and uh, reformed himself, and then have to create his own career path. So three very different perspectives. Um, you know, we get into some interesting topics. We talk about raising kids in today's society. Uh, we do talk about, um, you know, this concept of gender neutral. Um, I would have loved to have dug in a little bit more and questioned some of the viewpoints and opinions that came up on this one. Um, but unfortunately due to timing, (laughs) we were kind of restricted. Um, again, you know, obviously the, the viewpoints that are shared, on these podcasts are the viewpoints of the, the people who hold them. And uh, I just want to reinforce that I don't hold all of those viewpoints. Um, so if you disagree with any of the viewpoints that you hear in this episode especially, um, that's okay, you know, disagree with them. Um, and know that they don't always hold the weight of, of what we believe here on The Man Talk Show. Uh, so anyway, it is a great conversation. We talk a lot about fatherhood. Uh, The guys actually start off by sharing their own personal journey. So they share quite a bit about their own personal father. And what I would love for you to listen to, how this was really powerful for me as I went back and listened to it and watched it again, was looking at the arc. And so you can kind of see how each man's uh, relationship to his father growing up really built a huge part of who he would become as a man and how he had his own journey to becoming you know, to either repeating the patterns of his father or, uh, you know, swinging the pendulum in the opposite direction or finding an integrated balance. So, this is a really profound conversation. It's powerful. Uh, it's a little edgy, <laughs> and we'll get into some uncomfortable spaces. So, I hope you enjoy. And uh, without any further delay, please welcome my guests in Questioning the Rules of Men, Fatherhood Edition. What's going on, gentlemen? Thank you for joining me on Question the Rules. It's a pleasure to have each of you here to talk about fatherhood. Thank you. And uh, yeah, thank you so much. So I think I want to start off this conversation with your fathers and kind of talk about the lineage that you came from. So uh, John, why don't you just kick us off and give us a sense of what your father was like and what you learned about fatherhood or about being a man from him? yeah well most of most of the men in my lineage were
1: lost. Mm. I come from a a long line of hard drinking Irish scotch alcoholics, and my father was no different and he left when I was eighteen months old and It really has been that way his whole life. so you know the masculine imprint I got was one of absence and one of kind of floating in and out and um, and you know he's he's kind of continued being lost most of his life. But uh, but I did learn a lot from him about how to be an entrepreneur, how to start your own business, how to go for a dream. You know, there was a period of time where he was him and I were really connected, and it was mainly around business. And so most of the success I've had in business, I I, I really appreciate that.
0: But in terms of those first years, it was it was I was all women. Yeah, I was around all women. Yeah. What kind of rules did he try and impart onto you or did you feel like were there? None. There was no structure. <clears throat> None. None. Yeah, virtually no structure. Hmm. Which I think was
1: a real I think as I got older I realized like that was one of the things that I, I really missed. I really craved. I really grieved hmm. actually not having a father who would teach me the structure of discipline, who would teach me the um, you know, what it meant to actually have, you know, follow through on a goal, to punch through a goal, that kind of thing. I, I really had to learn that on my own with men's groups, which I've been involved with for a long time. So I had to craft that later. Hmm. And no, I didn't I didn't I didn't get that from him. And Yeah yeah.
0: So you learn how to be a father from other men. I learned how to be a father from other fathers. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. What about yourself, Hector?
2: Oh man, my father was great. He was dope. He's uh he's a Harlem native, New Yorker. Um, and uh love jazz ex marine, so very disciplined, um, which is something I carry with me to this day. I like a system, I like being disciplined, so um very loving, very caring, but I would probably say towards the teenage teenage years was in and out and passed from cancer, so um Then that's when I looked, obviously, just like John, towards other male figures Hmm. to kind of guide me. How old were you roughly when you passed away? Probably about 12, 13. Yeah. Yeah, so around the, like, peak time, right? Mm -hmm. Um, For me to figure things out and and, and start my journey as a man. And um, that... Uh, even though also just like John, raised by uh, a family of women, which was great, but it wasn't the same. Mm-hmm. So I went and found my male role models in the streets mm-hmm. of Brooklyn. Yeah. Yeah.
0: What were some of the things that before your father passed away that you felt like you were learning from him?
2: Uh, man, like arts, music. Uh, he liked live music. He liked musicians. Um, mm-hmm very old school. My entire family and upbringing is very traditional old school. And, you know, they cared about home. Um, But, you know, Marines at that time, they dealt with a lot. Uh, Our servicemen, period. Mm. Yeah. You know, so it was probably a tough transition for him also. And, um, you know, before... uh, Becoming ill and passing was kind of like in and out, and probably dealing with his own stuff. But uh, I would say for the most part, he just instilled um, how how important it was for me to be disciplined growing up and 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 how to take care of my family. Mm. So when you started to
0: look elsewhere for other male figures, where did you where did you look? You said in the streets. I mean, yeah,
2: I was in the streets because my mom ended up years later also passing from cancer. So. Um. Obviously, the role models changed, right? It was a very rough time in, in <clears throat> New York City and especially even more so Brooklyn. Um, you know, I grew up in a crack epidemic. So my role models changed, right? My role models became people that had to survive mm-hmm. by all means necessary, which also... Not only did I gravitate toward, but I was able to do well because discipline is part of that.
0: Yeah. So looking back after your father had passed away, what did you feel was missing from-
2: No structure. Yeah. You know, no structure, um, (laughs) no support system. And, you know, you just like learning on the fly where, which is like super dangerous because like any day would be your last. Mm.
0: Yeah, so the people that you were hanging out with and spending time with, did they change too? Did they change? Yeah.
2: Like how? uh, uh, Meaning like my group of peers? Yeah. I mean, compared to family, yes. Um, I I think growing up poor and with like a lack of resources, you kind of think they're family or you kind of accept them as family, but they're not. Hmm. It's like crabs in a barrel, right? Yeah. Like 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 receiving these these male figures in the streets as family is like a facade.
0: Mm.
2: You know, it's like that to keep you pushing to the next level, to keep getting more from you and keep it's like a it's like a game of blood suckers, right? And whoever survives in the end wins. So mm. now that I'm an adult, like like yeah, it was it was sad, but um, it was I was just lost for the most part.
0: were you that's able it. to to talk to those guys like after your father passed away what was that what was that like?
2: a lot of us a lot a lot of youth growing up with less they don't really have many people that's the problem. they don't have people to talk to so that's why you just like get into whatever can manipulate you at the time mm. or, or whatever can like feed your needs if you need money, you need food, you need clothing, you know you seek to whatever what what whatever can help facilitate that
0: mm.
2: and like you 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 trick yourself into believing their family, yeah, you know for the most part, but like they we don't we didn't growing up back in the days and we didn't have nobody to talk to,
0: yeah,
2: everybody's trying to survive, the entire like you know if anybody looked at old pictures of New York City, everything looked burnt down. Mm boarded it up it was like the Gaza <laughs> you know seriously mm-hmm. like it was it was like
0: crazy yeah so what kind of crowd did you fall into what what filled up that time what filled up that space for your family
2: men and women trying to hustle narcotics drug trafficking for the most part yeah yeah
0: okay thanks man no doubt Elliot what about you
3: my father yeah <clears throat> he grew up in the jungle he's a wild man didn't wear shoes whatever he ate was what he caught and what he picked uh really didn't have any parents or guidance because all the there was 12 of them children they all parented themselves out in the jungle and so uh when he came to america it was like first first of all he didn't have any like schooling he wasn't like conditioned or trained to be good boys the way we are yeah uh he lived by the law of the jungle which is alpha male rules and uh when he came to america like we were here he moved here to brooklyn he and my he and my mother they met here and uh it was a totally different kind of jungle but because he had that work ethic because if you don't if you don't work you don't eat in the jungle he figured out very quickly here in brooklyn that i got to figure out a trade and uh and he's a very disciplined, very focused, uh, very committed man. So he was able to learn how to fix cars and, uh, and then raise his family. He's, uh, he's one of 12 originally. Um, and he was the only one to make it out of Brooklyn. And he decided, no, nah, I'm not raising my family here. He wanted to he, – he high, he's high-minded, they would call him. And he wanted to raise his family in uh, Long Island, where the white people lived. He's like, I want this big house over here. I'm living over there. So uh, he, he and my mother broke their butts to make that happen for us. And he was a strong alpha male leader in the home, but also deeply emotional, you know, very instinctual,
0: the way he raised us and was with us. What qualities would you say made him that alpha male figure? The boundaries, the discipline. We couldn't get
3: away with anything. You know, and he was committed to he would always say, I want you I want you to be better than me. You know, being first generation American, uh, you know, my parents, my mother would always say that they would grow up thinking that America had streets of gold. So it's like you come here and you gotta you gotta tighten up, you gotta do the right thing, you gotta get along. So uh to them that was like the the most important thing. It's like you gotta go to school, you gotta my father was not about getting A's, he was like, (laughs) he was settled for C's. He's like, you just got to do good enough. Just get through it, uh, but you have to get an education. That was his
0: whole thing. Mm -hmm. Interesting, interesting. So what would you say were the rules that he set for you as a a young boy, as a young man? Well,
3: respect is one of them. You know, speak to me and speak to your mother with respect. You know, it's funny how, and even back in the 80s when I was a kid growing up, uh he would marvel at the fact that children would speak to their parents like they're their friends or like mm-hmm. you know what some with uh you know not having respect even like when a lot of my friends would come over you know and my father would be like what is this kid he doesn't say hello to people when he walks in the house <laughs> who you know so like manners was super important uh but he did he, it wasn't a matter of having a lot of rules
0: it was like a couple basic rules that were constantly reiterated yeah Interesting, what about you guys? What do you feel like the like the rules were that that maybe were there or maybe not there? Yeah, I
1: was thinking about that as you were talking. <clears throat> i I think the rule that my father gave me nonverbally was learn how to make people like you, mm. like learn how to be liked learn It was kind of a hustle, but it was more about like you know be you know be somebody that people want to be around mm. and uh, and he was really good at that, you know interesting, yeah yeah,
0: interesting. What about you
2: same manners was like top-notch period you had to old, hold doors open for people that were older than you like whether man or female like you had to like that was mandatory like um you had to take your hat off indoors people don't do that no more yeah <laughs> people have their hats on in restaurants yeah. like you had to do it yeah and that was like that's how i was raised mm-hmm. interesting um, yeah what what pressure do you feel
0: like your fathers had on them that might be different from us today Hmm. The the pressures that we have are so much more than I
3: than my father had. Like I said, he didn't he didn't go, he didn't grow up with American media. He didn't grow up in American schools. He didn't grow up living next to the Joneses. Which country?
2: Belize. Okay.
3: Yeah. So the pressures that he had was: Am I going to have clean water today? Am I going to be able to catch something or pick something to eat? So it was. There were much more primal
1: challenges, much mm. more basic. Yeah, I think guys growing up in the '70s, or, or men coming, men who were fathers in the late '60s and early '70s, were had the pressure of of the the, the cultural shift, mm. like what it means. There was a whole discussion about what it means to be a man. Now, in that in that time, it was it became about expression, it became about freedom, it became like following, you know, following, you know, sexual freedom and all of that. So I think that the pressures my my dad had was like how to be me. Yeah. Right, how to shed the, you know, what what the 50s archetypal male was and how to be me and I think you know that had its benefits that there was a lot of artistic growth and a lot of, you know, being an artist was was one of his rules, like be an artist or Interesting. you know
0: really respect the arts. Hmm. Uh, that's one of the things I'm really grateful that he gave me. How do you feel like your father's leadership made you who you are today? Like what parts of you would you attribute to his his parenting and his leadership?
2: I would probably say my love and respect for uh, cultures. Mm. How so? Because he grew up in the jazz era, yeah. so he grew up with a lot of history, and he traveled the world as a marine. So that was like anybody could come in our doors. Yeah, I didn't even though I, even though part of my family they grew up in Bensonhurst, right? So if anybody knows what Bensonhurst is. Back in the day, super racial tension, this that, but still, I come from a because of him and other people in my family, and other men in my family, anybody could walk in our doors and get a plate. So that's how I was raised, and that's how I still carry on with my my life and my kids and my family and friends.
0: Yeah,
1: my dad was not ad- really liked adventure, and he did take he did take us on trips. Like he spent a lot of time in Mexico. He started a business in Mexico when I was. 13 he took my sister and I down to Oaxaca which was kind of a you know wild place and, and uh, you know so we spent a lot of time there and and he was really he started a business in a village outside of Oaxaca. So I think that the things that he taught me he didn't really mean to they were just sort of imparted mm-hmm. as his he was trying to make it happen. Um, but he, he was a hustler and he taught you know he taught me kind of how to hustle and how to go f- go for it like mm. how to okay you have something. Go for it. You know? He traveled around the Southwest selling rugs out of a checker cab. <laughs> and and you know, and ended up on a porch in Santa Fe and created a really successful business from doing that. So I was like, all right, like that that's the model of, of entrepreneurial spirit. All right, fuck that. I can do that. Yeah. And I I think that um I think that some of the things he taught me I, I really, really value. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. And I'm jealous of all the structure. I got to say, like <laughs> having that much structure from your father, I, I you know. that well, I resented right. it. Yeah.
0: I didn't like it. I imagine. Yeah. I imagine. yeah, I imagine. yeah, yeah I But now you, you can see. I ran away a bunch of times. Oh, yes. Yeah. But yeah. as an adult. Yeah, for I sure. you value now. For sure. Yeah, I think like I grew up in, I think I was saying this before, I had like two dads and two moms. And so I had a dad and a stepdad and a mom and stepmom. And my dad and my stepdad are fundamentally different. Like they're just polar opposites. You know, one's like the creative uh, into singing, into like classical music, and into like these softer skills, all about connecting with people and making sure everyone, you know, uh, his thing is fairness, right? So making sure everyone loves you through fairness. And my stepdad was more like the the assertive, dominant, order, structure. You go to practice, you get up at 5 a.m., go to hockey. And man, I fucking hated that. Like, I remember as a kid, I was just like, and I think it made it even worse because he was my stepdad, right? Like, if he was my biological father, there still would have been tension. But because he was my stepfather, it was just like I bucked against that so hard. (laughs) So where did you guys find yourself, like, locking horns with your dad? Like, how did that show up?
1: It was much later for me. And I think it was a result of just the wound of him not being there, mm. and then all of a sudden being there and wanting me to be a part of his business and a part of what he was building. I think I just had all this unprocessed anger at at the at him not being around. So I, I you know, I made life hard on him, even though I was a big part of. You know, we were together a lot for a few years there. Yeah. And, uh, but I, I definitely, I didn't even know I was punishing him, but I definitely was challenging him, punishing him. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Early on, I was just. Any time with him, I was hungry for any time with him. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and then later on when he wanted it, it was like, screw you. Yeah, you know, I guess like a lot of guys who who grew up with absent fathers, you know, there's this sort of hole in your heart around your dad not being there. And so when he gives you anything, any kind of attention, you're just like, what do I need to do to get
0: more of this? Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Elliot, what are your thoughts? On uh, just some of the times where you guys would butt heads and— Lock horns it was
3: always about school hmm. uh, i hated school he was adamant that cuz he didn't go to school so he was adamant that you go to school and you finish school so uh like any time i got a call from a teacher or got suspended or got in detention one time i got caught uh like faking my report card <laughs> yeah i did I, I, school was not my thing and so he would he would ground me a lot he'd punish me a lot one time when i was about 13 14 years old uh oh, what did i get i think I, I got in trouble for i don't know something but he, i ended up in the basement underneath the stairs he was like all right so my punishment was you don't get a bedroom anymore that's a privilege so I ended up in the basement underneath the stairs, and like I was telling you before, it's probably one of the best things because it was about the same time that he bought me a barbell set. Mm. So I would hang out in, the, in my dungeon. They would say
0: just lifting, you know. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so good. I like how sometimes when we uh, when we get disappointed, actually is the the type of like practice that we need to start embarking on, you know, as young men. I think one of the interesting things that we talked about uh, just before we came on was about initiation. And I'm curious if, if any of you went through some form of initiation. Maybe I'll start with you. Well, I, I think we are all going through initiations,
3: uh, but whether or not we're conscious of it is really the big difference, whether or not there's a conscious attention being play, uh, paid to, to what's going on in an individual's life. I would say that for me personally, sports, football, I was initiated through iron, you know, lifting, and being with a band of brothers, having the elder as a coach. I think football was uh, indispensable for me in my life and, and coming into contact with what it means to be a
0: man, you know. Yeah. Interesting. I mean, Hector, I know that you uh, you know, from what we've talked about, you joined a gang and you were starting to deal like was there an initiation practice there? I know that sometimes there is there is initiation in those spaces.
2: No, I'd say my initiation to being a man and growing up was probably through prison. Mm. Yeah. Not even so much the streets, but definitely being surrounded by thousands of people from all over the world, um, different backgrounds, um, different cultures, as a kid being in there with grown men. Mm.
0: How old were you when you got sent to
2: prison? Um... I got indicted at 23. Okay. For? Drug trafficking, and distribution. Okay. What would you say got you
0: to that space? Like, what led you down that path where?
2: It's like that hero's journey, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like when you hit a dark place, it's like you either starve or you make a move. Mm. And I decided to... Um, leave school early and anything I do I'm like 100% in and I dove into the streets um always was great at managing teams always was great at mathematics and sales and having the wrong product you know set Mm. me away for a very long time so um that dark moment right is when I uh, was forced to like wake up mm. so that was my moment of truth mm. so to speak
0: what was it like to have to reconnect with your son and did you feel pressure to, to do right by your family because I know like a lot of people that come out they, they want to be able to reconnect what was that process like
2: Um, not so much pressure, but, um, definitely, uh, wanted to show my commitment to doing the right thing, uh, rebuilding my bond with my family, loved ones, friends, and, um, wanting him to feel secure, um, that I'm not going nowhere anytime soon. So with, with that, he, you know. And, of course, being a child, it was totally on board. He wasn't rebellious, which I'm super grateful for. And it was just, I was just received. It was just love.
0: What was one of the challenges as you, like, reintegrated into your family and into your community?
2: Challenges. Great question. Um, The balance between family... And business. So my first four years home, I didn't take a day off and I would tell everybody there's no family time until I'm done with work. Mm. Mm. So that was, that was tough, but things are fine now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Incredible.
0: Yeah. And John, how old were you when you became a father? 31. 31? Yeah, 31. Okay. And, uh, I'd say that was
1: my initiation to, you know, kind of growing up. I'd been a Kind of a child for most of my teens and twenties, and and uh, and when Claire came, it really m- made an impact, and I got clear that I had to take care of this little girl, and and I was also kind of, I, I didn't want to be the father that my father was. I was newly sober, and I wanted to do the right thing, and I wanted to be there, and so that's when I hooked up with a group of men that uh, that were good fathers that showed up, that had good relationships, and I really just hung on their coattails and said, you know, show me how to do this because I don't, I don't know. No one ever did this for me, so I don't know how to show up.
0: Yeah, what was like the wake-up factor for you? I hear a lot of dads, a lot of men that become fathers, it's like, oh, I just couldn't describe what it was like, but I feel like I woke up. I feel like a part of me woke up. It's, it's, it,
1: there's a primal thing that happens when you have this little, you know, totally vulnerable being that is completely reliant on you. Yeah. And for me, watching you know what Claire had to go through and her well, literally right when she came out, just awoke something very deep in me that mm. like you know I I have a chance to actually change the lineage of my family right of of neglect and absenteeism and all that and I can be the guy who this can stop here with her
0: yeah and I was really clear that that's what I wanted to do. Can you? Can you describe more or just go into a little bit more detail about some of the challenges that she faced? Yeah, she was born with cystic fibrosis,
1: and so she had, you know, chronic lung problems all through her life and, like, spent about a third of her life in the hospital. And and so, you know, a lot of our time together was time in the hospital. Yeah. So I spent, you know, for a good 20 years, I spent, you know, a third of the year sleeping in a hospital bed, and uh and that was my you know that was my sadna that was my challenge to show up and be there and support her and make it fun and 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 make sure that she was never alone or she never felt alone and you know so it was it was uh it was it i'm so grateful for it because it it, it i think if i wouldn't have had that kind of challenge in fatherhood i might have kind of just slipped into mediocrity mm. um but I was called to take care of this little girl and her mom as well, of course, but it it, it really I need I guess I, th- I think I needed that kind of
0: responsibility to, to rise up as best I could. Yeah. How did you like first off, how did you manage like once you found out that she had cystic fibrosis and you know that you were that you were going to be entering into that role of more more caretaking? Like what was that process like yeah. for you? Well, she had, you know, for a long time, she
1: had, she, it was, it was, she had a normal life in a lot of ways, right? Mm. And CF gets progressive and, it you know, and her life was spectacular, you know, her life was really spectacular. But I think that my, my... Mm, I, I guess I just had to be there to make sure that she, that I could give her structure because she had a lot of meds to do and a mm. lot of processes to do and a lot of breathing treatments to do. And it's a very, it, there's a lot of management mm. and I had to be there and kind of enforce care because, you know, when you're seven, you don't want to stop playing and then do a, you know hour long breathing treatment. So there was a lot of that, and and uh, and I just I just really had to show up and be committed to her care, and and also create you know stopping what I was doing. I was at the time I was in grad school, and I knew I couldn't support her in grad school, so I had to start my own business and take care of my family, like you talked about. I just everything became about making sure she
0: was taken care of. Yeah, I mean it's it's interesting because I think one of the challenges that we see with some men today is like where they find purpose. Mm. You know, and there seems to be this question for some men of can they find some purpose? Maybe not the all the purpose, but can they find purpose in fatherhood? So, what's your take on that? I I
1: completely did. I, I felt no matter what was going on in my life, starting a business or whatever I was doing in my life, I felt most on purpose when I was taking care of Claire. Mm. Like when she was taken care of, when everything was set up. And and if it wasn't, I was like a laser-focused, okay, what needs to happen now for it to happen? And and I think, again, I I consider that a blessing. But in in my 30s, my purpose was definitely
0: taking care of my daughter. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Incredible. Elliot, what do you think about that? You talk a lot about fatherhood and becoming men and purpose. So what's your take on finding purpose in parenting and fatherhood?
3: You know, I find myself as the father of four. I've got three daughters and a son. But I also find myself as the father figure to upwards to a million or more young men in the world. And so once I realize that, that I am a father to that magnitude, then all of my actions and all of my thoughts, all of my behaviors, all of my hopes and ambitions shifted towards generativity and thinking in terms of generational blessings and mm. what kind of impact are the words and ways that I uh, contribute to the world today going to be for my
0: children's children, grandchildren, and so on and so forth. Yeah. So how to become a father changed you, or did you notice any change or shift in, in how you showed up? No, I, I didn't change I just got
3: intensified, so I'm like a, a committed, devoted, hardworking. I mean, that was those were the traits that my father instilled in us: get up and work hard every day. I mean, be devoted to your family, be devoted to your work, do the best that you can. When we started having children, and mind you, you know, we were, we had tons of debt. You know, we both went to college we had college debt, ninety thousand dollars in credit card debt. There was a time where we had to have conversations about turning the lights off. You know. Things were challenging, but I kind of thrived in that because it just made me work harder in my business and you know put in more hours and have uh, bigger goals and so it just caused me to hustle. I like
0: when that fires under my ass and I got a reason to go hard. Mm. Yeah. So your kids provided somewhat of like more incentive, more of like that sharpening the axe. Yeah. Interesting. That was my experience as well. Yeah. 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 Like having having
1: somebody to. A life that you are really in charge of it it lit a fire under my ass that I don't think would have been there if i didn't have right. if i didn't have that little one depending on
2: me yeah yeah hector yeah i mean i I've, I've when i when my son was born i mean found many ways to you know go harder um, you know generate more. Uh, I wanted his mom to take uh, help take care of him as well and not have uh, any burdens or pressures. Mm. Um, so I kind of, she stayed home mm-hmm. for the first couple of years and I took care of everything. But, yeah, it definitely uh likes that fire right mm. I Which like you mentioned that too man that, that I wanted her to be I wanted her mom
1: to be home for the first four or four, five years I think yeah. that's important yeah. same here that was yeah. our commitment
3: yeah. we, it didn't matter if we had to live hand to mouth it was more important that the children had their mother with
0: them yeah. can you say yeah, more absolutely. about that like why, why do you think that's so important because I think that there is a counterculture that has arisen to that now and having like more caretakers around to support the child so can you just speak more to why you think that's important well, I think
1: it's if, if the woman wants that, yeah. right? and in Melissa's case, she wanted to be a mother. Like She wanted to be there. There's no place else she would have rather been. So yeah. if she would have had to go to work, it would have been a travesty. Um, obviously, if a woman wants that life and wants to have a career, and great. But in Melissa's case, I, she wanted that, and I wanted to support that. And so I was like, I'll make the money. You just stay home, take care of Claire. And, mm. and that, that helped kind yeah. of inspire me.
2: Yeah, same. My son's mother wanted, she wanted to spend the first year, or two with with him and with Hector. And uh, a few years later, she ended up going back to work. I mean, you know, she wanted to ex- have that experience, mm-hmm. that full-time experience as a mother. I mean, yeah, I wasn't mm-hmm. going to deny her that.
3: Yeah. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts? Well, that was our commitment. The moment we knew that she was pregnant, Yeah. she was earning more money than me. But we decided that it would be better for her to stay home. She wanted to. I wanted to. I think there's a sense of dignity that a man has when he knows that he's the sole provider. Mm -hmm. I think there's something strong about that sense also that I can provide so that my woman can do what she does best, which Mm -hmm. is to nurture and to provide for the, you know, take care of the the child. She would do a better job than me. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't be a good stay-at-home dad and yeah not as good as she would be as a mother, me so to know that I can create that walled garden, create that space yeah uh, makes me feel
0: good thoughts on. This is probably going to get pretty real, but thoughts on the guys, that the men that do want to just stay at home and, and just be stay-at-home dads. To each
2: his own. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah.
0: God, God yeah. bless them. If, that's, if, yeah. if they're built
1: that way, I, I, I'm not built that way. Yeah. I don't think I'm don't you know, I think if, if they want that and it feels good to them, great. I think yeah. that's beautiful.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I feel more useful in the grind
0: yeah <laughs> that's fair that's yeah. fair because I think there's a good piece of like honoring that yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. you know, just like honoring what's true for you as you're saying like if that's that's what's like really real for yeah. you, then
1: but I did get a lot of joy out of taking care right? yeah. so I found as much time as I could in between you know working and doing my thing to to show up and 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 there's a lot of joy in actually. The physical piece of taking care of a child, of mm-hmm. putting a child to bed, to making I food agree. for a kid. Yeah, I did all. I mean, that. That, that's joy right yeah, there. Yeah. My son and,
2: would only eat and get clothed and only for me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So they would always come get me. Like, Can you do me a favor? Can you feed him? Can you get him dressed? Get him to school because he's, he's flipping out. Like, so it was great.
0: What do you think are the important pieces that we as fathers need to make sure that we do? Like we talked about nurturing there. How, how do you see a father nurturing? What are some of the other things that you think Yo, for that's you important. as father You important? can't,
2: back in the days, you say you can't cry. You can't do this. Mm. Yo, show the love, man. Mm-hmm. Give the love. Teach your kids love. Teach mm. your kids the importance of love. Letting them know crying is fine. Mm. Letting them know how to express themselves. Back in the days growing up, dads used to always want you to be tough. Fuck tough. Yeah.
1: Mm. yeah. Be human. Yeah, be human. <laughs> I found that, you know, I had a a conversation when Claire was 16 and I got really clear that my purpose was going to shift from her. I felt it really important that I sit down with her and go, you know what, baby, I love you. I'm not going anywhere, but I'm going to start spending more and more of my time on this thing that I feel really passionate about. And we had this very kind of adult conversation about it and she loved it. Mm. And so when I left town, even when she was in the hospital and I had to leave town and go teach or do what I do, she supported it. And I think that that was I, I felt I felt like that was an important lesson to give her that I could even not being there, me giving whatever gift I thought I had for the world was an inspiration for her, and she still felt held. Mm. And I I think communication is a big piece of of fatherhood for me, and also I'm so glad that I I I gave her a I showed her my spirituality, mm. like what. We, you know, I would meditate. I'm a Buddhist, so she would be on my lap, and I'd be meditating or chanting. And I didn't care whether she did the same thing. I just wanted her to have some sensitivity for the divine
0: and some sense mm. of the divine. And that was like feel, your version of taking her to church, you know?
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, she and I would take her. So you know, and she grew to have her own relationship with it. But I, I wanted to be, I wanted her to feel my love of, you know, the divine sincerely and I think that was that was
0: helpful for her hmm. comforted her yeah it's incredible yeah, I yeah. like that Elliot what about yourself what do you think are the important pieces that you try and teach your kids
3: you know I think in terms of you know protect and provide you know and the word protect you conjure up visions of you know carrying a sword or a shotgun and protecting your, your family that way which you know, we don't really need to protect ourselves in that way any, anymore. But the protection against bad ideas and cultural bad ideas and media bad ideas. And so the protection is more about protecting their soul from uh, bad ideas <laughs> 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 that this world is getting really good at perpetrating
0: and, and, uh, and pushing on us. Mm. What well, do you think are some of those bad ideas you try and protect your kids from? I used to be very liberal in my ideas,
3: like anything goes, YOLO, gray area, everything's all right, just be a nice person. And I realized very quickly when my children started getting older, cl- closer to teenage, that I couldn't do that anymore because it didn't provide them with a sense of stability for where my parents stand. Mm. I don't think if the parents take a stand, the children know what to believe because Mm. they got the school, they got the media, they got their friends telling them all kinds of different things. Even if I'm wrong, it's better that I make a stance. That way, at least you know where your father stands. You Mm. know where your mother stands. Right, creating structure for them to. I can't. I can't make them not have. Premarital sex, or to you know, to get involved in worldly things. I can't make that happen, mm. but I think it's very important that we state our values. Mm. Be very clear. This is what I value. This is what I don't value. This is what I would uh, rather you do. This is what I rather you don't do. I think a lot
1: of parents don't make those boundary calls, mm. and I think that's a big mistake. I think that's that's a lot of laziness I see around that, and just and and an unwillingness to actually a worry that you're going to make your kids mad at you or they're going mm. to be pissed at you or whatever. And I, I think in the difficult conversations I had to have with Claire, if I wrapped it in the I am not being a good dad, if I don't step in and That's tell it. you how I feel, mm-hmm. I am I am doing you a disservice as your father. And mm. even if you disagree with me, I'm going to tell you why this is important. Mm. But having that conviction made a huge difference. It actually made her feel safe.
2: Mm. Yeah. I believe you're setting the tone, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, Set the tone. Period. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm -hmm. What were some of the tough conversations that you've had to have with your kids? Because I know that each of you have your own, you know, challenges that you've had to have those conversations. So, can you give me an example? I had to have a very difficult conversation with her
1: around being independent, Mm. you know, like she, she, she needed a lot of care Mm -hmm. and she wanted to be independent when she got to be 18. So I helped her get her own place. her mother and I actually disagreed on this. And I, I, I said, look, I want you to have the experience of having a roommate and being young and having, and doing that. And I, I gave, I helped to create that with, with her. And I think that was a, that was a really difficult decision on my part you know, and it made it hard on. Her. It was harder on her to take care of herself. But yeah. she wanted that, and I, I had to have conversations with her about creating structure and self care, if that's what she wanted. And I almost had to pull the plug a couple times. Like, look, if you're not taking care of yourself, then I have to. I'm not going to be paying your rent. Yeah. and you're going to have to go live with your mom. Because I would be doing you a disservice as your father if I just let this slide. Yeah, you know, right. it wasn't a very happy conversation, yeah. but I'm glad
3: I had it. <laughs> yep. you know? yeah, that's why we have fathers. Yeah, to yeah. do that. Yeah. That's a tough I, conversation.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I feel like those. Do you feel like her illness in some ways was supportive of you having to dig in more sometimes, and like be more protective in that area? Well, certainly I was, and, and I, I, you
1: know I'm I was definitely guilty of crossing the line, right? Mm. And my fear of losing her sometimes made me a little too rigid or mm. a little too protective, and and you know, and we had to work that out. We yeah. had some difficult conversations. We had a two hour conversation where I just said, "Okay, baby, anything you're mad at me about, I'm game for listening." And I just I reflected it back. All right, that makes sense. What else you got? And I just yeah. and she had a whole, whole bunch. It was one of the toughest conversations I've ever been a part of. And uh, and yeah, but I think that her illness, you know, made being a dad just gave it a little extra
0: challenge. You know? How did you work with her to make the decision? I know that when she decided to have the transplant, that must have been a really challenging conversation to embark on with her. Well, she, no, she came to me
1: okay. when she was 19 and said, I'm off the transplant list. I don't want it. Okay. And 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 part of what I had to do as a father that I, I pushed as hard as I could. And then I was like, okay, baby, like I had to accept. Why were you pushing? Because I felt it was the right thing to do. Yeah. And I wanted her to have a chance earlier on than she actually did to get lung Get new lungs because yeah. I think it would have been helpful for her, but she, it's her body. She said, "Dad, this is my body. It's my decision. I'm 19. Like, you can either be with me or not." And I was like, "All right, baby, I'm, I let it go." Yeah. And then she, a year later, after she realized that things were getting worse for her and she wanted to live, she changed her mind and got back on the lan- lung transplant list.
2: Mm.
1: Yeah, I mean, those are those are real real life conversations. It was, hard, it was so hard to accept, to be honest with you. Yeah. And and and. And to just be loving and supportive of what she wanted to do and then not, while my heart was kind of broken and while I was watching her get sicker, that was, that was hard, man. That was a hard, hard thing for me to do.
0: I know that she, you know, Claire was pretty public towards the end of, like, her journey and she really was outspoken in so many beautiful ways. I mean, I, I remember watching one of her videos and, like, sharing it with my wife and just being like, man... Like, I I hope that we raise kids as beautiful as her. Thank you. You know, she really was um, special. Thank you. And um, I'm curious if you can share a little bit more with us about what it's like to be a father who has lost a child. Because I think it's something that many men struggle with silently and don't really know how to deal with it. Yeah, I'm still figuring that out. Yeah. You
1: know, uh, the way it's worked for me is I, I honor the grief. I created space in my life to grieve. I I honor it when it comes, you know. When it comes I give it its due. Yeah. I surrender to it. Um, I try to make art with it when I can. I'll write about it a lot. I, I I'm a writer, so I'll write a lot about it. Um, mm. but I basically just I let it take me for a few moments, you know. And usually sometimes it's thirty minutes, sometimes it's fifteen, sometimes it's an hour, sometimes it's half a day. Mm. I just I just gave it space and that's you know, it's been about eight months since yeah. she's passed, so so it, it's better, but you know, every it just blinds, it fucking blindsides me sometimes, and I just have to surrender. Yeah, yeah.
0: Thank you. I appreciate you showing that because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I know it's you know whether we lose parents or partners or children, grief is something that I see a lot of men struggling with. I'm sure that you do too in the work that you do yeah. with them. Yeah. Yeah. It, 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 they don't. What they don't tell you is that it's like there's a
1: hole in your heart that never quite heals, mm. and so there's a there's just an ache that. You know, because she was so popular, <laughs> there's Facebook videos that pop up every other day, or pictures, yeah. or there's new events with her name. There's a there's a documentary coming out, and come, so she's not going anywhere. Her online presence is not going anywhere. So I just
0: have to be with the pain when it comes. Yeah, yeah, heal with it. Thank you, <clears throat> gentlemen. So, as fathers, I think I want to just shift a little bit to some of the some of the questions, some of the challenges that you see modern. Fathers dealing with. Um, you know, you mentioned media and some of the bombardment that there seems to be. What rules do you see being put on fathers today? What challenges do you see modern fathers facing today? Maybe I'll just start with you, Elliot. Uh,
3: there's a lot of confusion about who's who in the home with mom and dad. And we got a lot of dads that behave more like one of the children with the wife Hmm. and women being the dad and the mom, even if there's a father in the house. And when there isn't a father in the house, we have a government that gives prizes to women to not have the father in the house as far as. Media and what we're told about fatherhood and how to be a father, we've got Homer Simpson and, you know, most weak, fat, dumb dads uh, as our examples. Peter Griffin. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Right. So the challenge is that there's very little strong father energy, you know, and the women are having to pick up up the, the pieces in that way and in another way, they kind of fought for it. And then uh, and then nobody's happy. Nobody's satisfied because men don't get to stand in their place. Women are frustrated with weak men. Hmm. And children aren't, they don't have the boundaries or the leadership in their home either.
2: Hmm. So it's a crisis.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. Hector, thoughts? John? I only speak from experience in the past and... I kind of agree, but more so about just how uh, this government just attacks fathers of color, separates families. That's the only thing I can relate to and understand Mm. and see, because that's the community I come from. Mm -hmm. Cops and government just tearing up families of color, period. You get rid of the father, there's no structure. That's That's what I'm used to, and that's what I still see to this day. So, yeah, I mean, it's
0: interesting, right? Because if you look at a lot of the research that's being done on, you know, runaways and kids that drop out of school, and even so far as looking at um, like the population of men that, you know, are unfortunately become rapists, the majority of them, large majority of them, are coming from fatherless homes
1: absolutely <laughs> large majority
0: right so like 75 percent of high school dropouts come from fatherless homes right so it's like it, it very clearly links back to the role of, of fathers so when you when you look at fatherless homes how do you classify that because I think that some people we look at it and we're like oh it's just when the dad has you know taken off or isn't there or there's separation so how do you define a fatherless home what, what would that actually look like well I, I think that you can have a home with the father there, and the father's not
1: present mm. you know, to your previous question about about some of these some of the rules that men are against i think I think fathers are have a number of challenges right they they're meant to support her career in a lot of ways they're also meant to be absolutely present as fathers and they're meant to there's there's expectations about them having their own purpose, right? So mm. they have to have their own purpose, they have to support her purpose, and they have to be completely present as not just fathers but lovers, right? You hear this a lot. And so I think the pressure on men as husbands and fathers is greater than it's ever been, mm. And to be, it's it, the myth of the good husband that you just had to show up and be a provider and a good dad and, you know, it was good. You were good. Now there's a lot more that men are expected to show up and be a part of. And I think that puts a lot of pressure on the men that I see mm. in a lot of other ways to be everything. So to me, I feel, I feel that's an important pressure that men are trying to navigate. Like, how, do I, how do I be the man that she can trust to lead her Right and also live my purpose fully, and also show up and teach my children properly and instill my values. That's a, It's a big order.
0: It's a yeah. big order for men. Do you guys see that pressure as well? you see that the same thing?
2: Not so much, man. Women are leaders, just like men are. I mean, I want to be matched with a leader. Hmm. I'm a leader. I don't need nobody to follow me. I don't need nobody. I got to always hold your hand. I want somebody by my side, not behind me. Hmm. You know? Do you think that people can lead together though? 100%. Yeah. 100%. I'm all about teams. And women, just as strong as anybody else.
1: Mm. Well, no, I'm not implying no, that they're no, not. No, men. No, no, for I'm sure. just saying this. from women, they also expect that the men to lead in mm-hmm. relationship and as a father and if they're not, there's some a lot do. of there yeah, some do. Some I do. guess you're right. Some probably some don't, do. but I hear it a lot. Mm-hmm. It just feels like a it feels like more pressure than men have had yeah. to be a
0: lot more than they had to be 20, 30, 40 years ago. I agree. Yeah. 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 One of the things that we talked about in dating and in the porn episode was consent. And this seems to be a huge topic right now. And uh, I kind of wanted to get your opinion as fathers. Like, How would you have that conversation? How would you have a conversation about porn or sex, which seems to be running rampant? How do you have a conversation with your children around consent? What does that look like for you? So I'll let you pick which one you kind of want to talk on. and Maybe uh, maybe just give some insight into that. So John, do you want to maybe start? Yeah.
1: On consent, I, I would, if I had a son, I would teach my son to feel... Feel her Mm. like to really pay exquisite attention to her and not assume that she's going to be able to say no if she's a no Mm. Uh, But to feel like she might not say anything but hurt. She might get tense That's a no right Mm. so the nonverbal cues teaching men to pick up on nonverbal cues of consent Rather than just putting all the pressure on her to say no, which is difficult for a lot of women uh, I think is crucial Um, Mm. and, and I, and I would, I would ask them to really, and then if she does say no, it's not the time to obviously to try to convince her. It's Mm. like to honor it and, and enjoy it. Like enjoy her. No, that means she's telling you that there's something you're not, there's something that you're not doing yet. And there's someplace she, something she hasn't, you know, she's not okay with it yet, which is actually a gift for you to check, like, what are my motives? And, you know, am I being conscious? And am I being attentive? And it's, a, it's actually a beautiful challenge. Hmm. Yeah.
0: Elliot, what are your thoughts as a father of three daughters and, and one boy? So I think of my daughters first because my son's only eight. And
3: I tell them that I think it is best for them to wait till they're married hmm. to have sex. Uh, it's better not to be getting involved. I even tell the young men that I deal with It's better not to be getting involved with sex at an early age and being promiscuous. I don't think promiscuous uh, behavior is healthy for men or women. It gets us to be very addicted to the sensuality, the feeling. You know, we were talking about with the guys that were porn addicts. Mm. Well, it's just like being a crack addict. It's this feeling. And we often confuse that lust, that sensation, that need for release with love. Mm -hmm. And then we project that sensation on especially when you're young, you project that sensation on the young lady or the young man. So for their, just for their own sovereignty, hmm. I advise them to be very cautious and be very mindful about how and when they choose to have sex. Hmm. Uh, I don't think casual sex uh, does our culture any good at all. And it, and it is seen as something virtuous to have a lot of sex, but to me it's just weakness. If, mm. you need, if you need to be orgasming all day, every day, you're no <laughs> you're or or every time you go out, or every time you see a woman you can't control yourself, uh, you're no better than someone who ha, you know has to have their heroin or mm. has to have their crack. The only difference is this world props it up and advertises it so it makes you feel like a sense of pride. Mm. But I don't see it that way, and I make it very clear to my children that I don't see it that way. Mm. Mm. Johnny,
1: do you have anything to add? To that? I, I would add consciousness. You know, mm-hmm. that there is. I, I'm I'm less staunch than you on this, but I do think that there's a lack of consciousness both from young men and women about about sex, right? And it's easy to fall into a pleasure, you know, or a sensuality, or a hit. You're basically you are getting a yeah. hit of dopamine and serotonin yep. and all those things. And to come at it with no consciousness, like what are the ripple effects of this? What's this? Am I ready for this? Is she ready for this? Right? Mm-hmm. And, and really taking responsibility and thinking through consciously what sex is going to do, that's a tough one for kids because they're pretty hopped up on, on hormones. But <laughs> at least the intention, like if they, I, I, I would tell my son, if I had a son, I would say, hey, like what's your intention? Is your intention yeah. to elevate this? girl or is it Mm -hmm. your intention to just use her right right? and i think that that's a really important thing for them to to know that they they can set the intention any way they want you know and and giving them the option of a of a a noble possibility Mm -hmm. i think a lot of a lot of young men will take that
0: yeah Mm -hmm. do you see that a lot with you know we've we've talked a little bit about lost men and you know you kind of touched on being a, a almost like an internet father figure, right? You have a lot of guys that, that are younger that are following you on YouTube and, and that you have a lot of guys that come to your workshops and you have you know, men that you're uh, helping to employ through the, the Second You Foundation. Um, do you see a lot of men searching for a father figure, searching for that father energy? Because it seems to be, when I look at like the meteoric rise of someone like Jordan Peterson as we were talking about backstage, He just seems to personify this ordered, strict, assertive, boundaried male figure, you know, like that father figure that so Mm -hmm. many guys were missing, so many maybe women were missing as well. Mm -hmm. And and that's like the people that really are hungry for that are like out there scrambling for it. So what's your what's your take on that? Where do you see that showing up? America is hungry for it. Mm. And Mm. that's why we have Donald Trump as
3: president. (laughs) He's a patriarch, he's an alpha male, he's a leader. He'll get a second term, there's no question about it, because people are hungry for that
0: alpha male, strong leadership. I don't want to get too deep into politics, but from a father figure perspective, do you think that he embodies the real qualities that we look for in a father? You know, the only reason why I can see him
3: is because he reminds me of my father. Mm. When I hear him speak, I see the things that he does, Uh, You know, the righteous things. My father's made mistakes also. Mm -hmm. Uh, I see see my father, and I know how good it was. Even though I hated him, like a lot of Americans hate Donald Trump, Mm -hmm. it wasn't until I grew up and realized, damn, I needed that check. I needed that discipline. I needed someone that I disagreed with, that didn't care that I disagreed with him, and did what he thought was right anyway, mm. I hated it, but as a grown man with children of my own now
1: now i now I get it. I think that a lot of the a lot of men that I encounter are hungry for strong, noble masculine spirit spiritual to some degree, I think as well. I would put that in there mm-hmm. um, depth I think men today are are uh, even though they 're number than ever and sort of more addicted to comfort than ever, I think there 's something in the men that at least i I meet that come to me where they 're craving depth they 're craving depth they 're craving um, structure they 're craving you know to go to to do something to have a new possibility as men because we 're really at a unique moment in history mm. uh, where the paradigm of I would call it masculine leadership is really at a at a crucible, and men are aware of that, mm-hmm. and I think they they want to do a, a lot of the guys that I come across want to do a better job and want to deepen.
0: Mm-hmm. Where do you see someone like Jordan Peterson fitting in the mix, or even someone? I know mm. <laughs> the yeah. controversial conversation about about Trump, but yeah. where do you see that fitting in? Because I'm a Canadian, so I have like the outsider perspective, which <laughs> yeah. is always yeah. always you know, interesting. You
1: Pimping your Canadian That's right. intellectuals on us, yeah. yeah. The uh, the yeah, Jordan Peterson, right? He's he is boundaryed, and and I think mm-hmm. what you know part of what makes him even to my daughter, I uh, said like she really respected that he held to his guns. This is what I believe, mm. and and I think that there is so much kind of wishy-washiness, both mm-hmm. in the political spectrum and in the social spectrum. Mm-hmm. And men are just kind of flowy mm. in a lot of ways. And I think that someone who can make a stand and stand his ground is really respected. And and I think people are hungry for that, mm-hmm. yeah.
0: men and women. Yeah. yeah. You know, just to leave, leave all the people that are watching this with some, maybe something tangible. What's the one skill? What's the one quality that you would encourage fathers to cultivate whether they're going to become fathers whether they are fathers already you know whether the kids are old what would you what's like the one thing that you would encourage them to cultivate to invest in for
2: example my son's a jazz pianist and look, with us speaking about quality of time right not about the amount of time it's about the time spent right it's not about what i think we should do right it's about Me, just speaking on me and my son's relationship, every time I see my son, I know for a fact, because I know what he loves, I know what his passions are, I'm going to create routine. Mm. I'm going to be that, you know, every time you're around me, we're going to do something that has to do with what you love. Mm. But we're going to experience that together and share that together every time we hang out. So I think routine is important when it comes to whatever your son or daughter's passions and love or love is for yeah. whatever they enjoy doing. I see. Yeah, yeah.
1: I, I love I love that. I think routine is so important. And I, you know, I, I've been I think that as as fathers or businessmen or just men in general, this idea of bringing an intention, a powerful intention to every moment, is crucial. So we have the we have the capacity to control our intention and the quality of our energy. And if if you only have an hour or two hours, most most fathers are working or doing something right. Create a really powerful intention and, make, and, and take responsibility for your energy. You know, mm-hmm. Move your body. Do what you got to do so that you show up, your heart's relaxed, your, your mind is focused, your, they can feel your love, they can feel your consciousness, and set a powerful intention for the time you do have, for putting them to bed. Mm-hmm. You know, if your intention is, I'm going to blast them with love and like, make them feel like the happiest, most taken care of kid for the 20 minutes I get to see them today, they'll remember that. and That will imprint I believe in their nervous systems and in their hearts. Nice. Elliot? I
3: say it starts with being the strongest version of ourselves first, knowing our vision. I think a father or a man without a vision is a lost man. Uh, Being very clear on your values and living it. So being the example rather than having to speak it all the time. You know?
0: Yeah, that's good. It's great, guys. Well, thank you so much for coming in and sharing your stories, talking about some of the challenges that you see men facing, questioning some of the rules around fatherhood, and you know just being able to give some insight into what the modern father or the fathers before us have been facing and the the sort of culture uh, in or around that. So, I appreciate your time, your wisdom, and your insights. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks, John.